These are uncertain times. This is why the registry continues to bring its grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate to keep you informed and better prepared to meet the challenges of the industry. We are able to deliver the reliable news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you for your commitment to journalism, especially now. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can join us at registryps.com. Today we are joined by Brad Henthorn, principal in the Seattle office of Perkins & Will, a global design and architecture firm. Brad was born in a Bavarian-themed town in Washington, spent his childhood in the Seattle suburbs and his teenage years in the family's cattle ranch prior to attending college and graduate school at the University of Washington. His three decades of professional experience is equally diverse, having practiced in Boston, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Seattle. Brad takes leadership roles on both public and private sector projects for a wonderfully diverse range of clients, extending from healthcare to higher education, from mixed use to multifamily, and from civic to commercial. Welcome, Brad. Brad, uh, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Great. Are you sheltering in, in place as uh, most of the world is these days? Definitely sheltering in place. We rescued my uh, college son from Budapest a few weeks ago, and okay. we're all home sheltering. Okay, great, great, great. Excellent. Um, so, Brad, um, a little bit of a background uh, about Perkins Will. Obviously, um, this is a global architecture and design firm, but just sort of for the benefit of, of our audience, if, if you can provide just a quick overview of how many offices, where you're active, the kind of work that your firm does, and so forth. Sure. We're, we're we're a firm of about 2,600 people with 26 uh, offices around the world, four of which are international, five of which are international, I guess, and the rest are in the United States. So we cover most major cities in the U.S. up and down the West Coast. Uh, I happen to be in Seattle, but we have offices in Vancouver and San Francisco and Los Angeles and Seattle on the West Coast. And then most of the major cities uh, in the Midwest and the East Coast and the South as well. So um, lots of we have a very diverse portfolio across everything from healthcare to corporate and commercial and a lot of higher education and science and technology work. So very diverse portfolio, uh, also a lot of transit um, and kind of just about uh, everything. So very diverse portfolio and the firm has been around for over 80 years. Being a global player and a significant architecture firm, uh, both in the U.S. and um, certainly also in some um, areas around the world also, 2019, probably you were coming off of that year as, um, as, a, as, as a decent year. Uh, is, that, is that correct in terms of, in terms of results? Uh, give us a sort of a sense of, of how kind of 2019 ended and what was the hope for the firm in 2020, you know, in December of 2019. Yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, I think we uh, we had every reason to believe. Well, 2019 was a very good year, as you might imagine, and you know, we had every reason to believe that 2020 was going to be a very robust year as well. And we remain optimistic, but maybe not as optimistic as we were, obviously. But and you know, I think especially where I am in Seattle, you know, all the fundamentals were still sound, even though a lot of people thought we were maybe toward the toward the tail end or the back end of uh you know one of the biggest booms uh really that we've ever sustained booms that we've ever seen uh so yeah 2020 we were quite optimistic and then uh and then this little 
pandemic happened and you know now we're all trying to make sure that we pay attention to yeah uh, making sure of what we're doing so how are you as a firm reacting most immediately uh maybe just maybe on a personal level you can just you know give us a sense of you know what what your company did how did you respond to to some of these early warnings yeah i you know i think luckily uh, our, our firm has a very a very strong leadership and a very strong uh, management structure and a very strong uh, IT infrastructure. So uh, we were pretty pretty quickly able to adapt to you know what was a pretty universal work from home approach. Um, and you know over the last few weeks, you know there's a lot of statistics that our that our IT team has put together for helping people with their bandwidth, making sure they have the appropriate tools, uh, making sure that everybody has the appropriate platform to you know have their team meetings and everything else, and also a very robust corporate marketing team who's uh, been really front and center on helping people uh, learn lessons on how to facilitate online meetings and interviews and reach out to clients and get our message out to the clients that we serve and make sure that we're doing everything we can. So, uh, you know, I think all things all things being equal, you know, I think that the transition to this uh, working from home has actually been relatively seamless and um, relatively effective. And I, and I think if you look at the numbers in our across the firm utilization and our ability to sort of learn to work in different ways. I think it's actually been relatively successful and we'll learn a lot moving into the future about how we can continue to effectively work that way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the architecture industry is usually kind of the, uh, I don't want to say necessarily canary in the coal mine, but you're on the forefront in terms of work, you know, of the development cycle. How have you observed, and maybe you know, if you don't want to speak specifically to what Perkins and Wool is doing, but overall for the architecture and design um, industry, how, how, are you seeing you know projects freeze up? Are you seeing things? Um, moving along or just kind of being delayed for now, you know, give us a sense from, from your perspective where, where that is. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, it's been a mix. I mean, we've seen, uh, and, and honestly, I think it's still starting to shake out a little bit. You know, we had right. projects that, you know, obviously any, any project or, or client that was, you know, that was immediately somehow impacted by, you know, the travel industry or the hotel industry or the cruise ship industry or that kind of stuff. You know, I think those, those were on the cutting edge of, you know, sort of, uh oh, uh, you know, this is going to be maybe trouble, you know, or, or in the, you know, like the hospitality or the restaurant business. Um, and then everything sort of trickles from that. Healthcare clients uh, all of a sudden were quite busy, um, not only with projects, and many of them are staying the course with projects, but they're also, you know, looking at, at ways where maybe it is the impetus for some increased telemedicine or something where there's a technological solution, either near term or long term. And then frankly, a lot of them were, were just not that they wanted to stop their projects, but they were just distracted or, you know, or, or just not distracted, but, you know, refocused on, on dealing with the crisis. Uh, and so they just didn't have time to devote, you know, to furthering projects around. So there's several projects that, you know, some stopped, I would say. A lot of them maybe paused temporarily and then others of them just kept going and others like they got accelerated because either there was some sort of an, a city entitlement thing that changed that allowed them to get a permit sooner or there was some sort of impetus for something to go even faster. They wanted to get in front of a code change or something. So literally, it's been all over the all over the map, and, and I think it's been all over the map geographically uh, as well. So what might be happening in Seattle might be completely different than what's happening in New York or, or China or anywhere else. So, you know, I think we're still trying to get our arms around it, and you know, just we communicate all the time. I mean, we really are firm-wide sort of communication structures 
I think second to none, where we're constantly on the phone talking to each other about what are you seeing, what are you seeing, what are you seeing, not only from a management perspective, but from a market sector perspective. So, you know, our healthcare groups talks all the time, like weekly about what are you seeing in New York, what are you seeing in Seattle, what are you seeing in San Francisco, and what are you seeing in Los Angeles, and and same with people who work with developers and people, and what are the lessons that we can learn across clients? We have healthcare clients all of a sudden talking to developer clients who maybe have an empty high-rise that maybe could accommodate some beds, and so we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff, sort of cross-market communication, which has been kind of interesting to watch as well. Right, right. From your observation, what sectors of the commercial real estate industry or you know are, are you seeing that might come out of this you know uh, relatively well well as far as i can tell from the clients i've talked to you know the tech sector seems to be still pretty active and again i, I said in seattle so my sense is that amazon is obviously still doing quite well and you know microsoft seems to be still doing quite well and there's some others maybe not so much but you know i, I it's it feels like like i said if you know if anybody in the travel tourism industry is probably struggling but you know and i think a lot of people are talking about the future of the the workplace per se and you know what's going to happen now in terms of the demand for office office space or the impact on density assumptions you know it's been several years where there's been a race to see how many people per square foot you can get in an office building and certainly that's going to change now as people aren't as comfortable being dense packed or maybe have to have a different philosophy around you know, conferencing or that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, th- I think, I don't know, it's like one size doesn't fit all. There's so many different variables right now. Everybody's trying to figure it out. Yeah, and that's a good segue into one of the questions I wanted to ask you around, you know, what are your end user clients, you know, doing now? My understanding is, you know, the real estate department of XYZ company is already looking at, okay, what do we do in the conference rooms? What do we do with our elevators? How do we move people around? Can you provide some anecdotes, maybe uh, what, what you've seen and sort of how uh, you know drastic some of these changes might, might get to be? Sure. I mean, I, I think we're trying to be as proactive as we can. You know, I thought, I think it was a ULI article that I read that I thought was pretty good. And they kind of talked about the three phases of this whole thing. And the first one was Basically, everybody had to react. So it was reaction to deal with the crisis, right? And the, the second one is kind of what we're in now a little bit is the recovery phase. Everybody's kind of taking a, a sort of a gut shot of productivity and, and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And then the last one is the one that I think is really interesting and important that we all get ahead of, which is the sort of resilience. How do we get ahead of it now? What have we learned from this? And what are we going to do moving forward? And how's it going to impact what it is? And I think what's interesting is that it's happening across practice areas. So you know, whether you're a hospital or a hotel or a swimming pool or a hockey arena, right? There's a there's a re, there's a reception function, there's a arrival function, there's a take my, you know, come in the front door function, and and it's all going to change somehow. And, and I don't think anybody knows what it is, but it's most definitely across practice areas and across across building types. Whether you work in a kitchen, crowded kitchen in a restaurant or in a, in a research lab environment next to your researcher that's next to you or in an OR next to another physician and how do all the rules apply in terms of, so uh, we don't know, but we're thinking hard about it and we're uh, trying to get in front of our clients and we have, uh, we've orchestrated a lot of uh, what we call um, internal kind of forums where we gather experts um, in the field. I was on a panel last week within Parkinson Will where I think 720 people or something uh, dialed in for the hour long discussion. And yeah. it was a combination of me who's got some background in both healthcare and, and, and commercial architecture and somebody who was a nurse and somebody who's a bench researcher and somebody who's more of an urban designer and and we just talked about what's going to change at pretty much every scale of what we do whether it's the city scale or the or the individual room scale 
Are you noticing companies um, looking for some of your healthcare expertise and how to convey that into, uh, let's say, you know, a corporate campus? And that could include not just how specifically the space is designed, uh, but also certain materials and, you know, how to keep uh, certain places clean. Is that part of sure. what's, what's also coming up? Yeah, I think most definitely people are going to, you know, I think part of it now is people are realizing that, um, you know, maybe it's not as great to have to bring everybody to the hospital, right? There's certain services and healthcare services in particular that, that should be or could be maybe better delivered in the communities uh, you know, as it relates to how you deal with issues around population health rather than just treating individuals. And so, yeah, I think all the different environments that healthcare uh, could be delivered in, you know, again, whether it's telemedicine, that's, you know, essentially office and in conference space that could happen from anywhere or even from somebody's home. And I think people are looking at how to do that. Just like, you know, we just spent time trying to fit beds into a condo tower or a hotel. People are trying to figure out how to, how to cross, you know, how to get all these different services in different environments. And uh, it's been fascinating, actually. And we're continuing to get in front of our clients to have those discussions to make sure that we're reacting, not just to what we think, but, you know, what they're actually saying and, and what they need. What were some of the you know obvious consequences that you guys identified in that panel as you talked about you know how the future looks? Um, and we can talk about sort of the opportunities in a minute, but more from um, yeah from now on, you know this will never be the way it was before. Uh, just to kind of understand, you know, from, yeah. from your industry and kind of global understanding how how some of right. your colleagues uh, in you know had interpreted uh, you know what is coming. Yeah, I wish I had my notes in front of me. I apologize. Uh, no. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it kind of started some of it at a, at a pretty high level around, you know, what are some of the, I don't know what you want to call it, societal or political or that types of issues around, you know, how are people going to be able to gather and, you know, are actual regulations going to change around how many beds, hospital beds, a certain state can have licensed that you know sort of by definition now created a shortage of beds and that kind of stuff so really sort of high level around what kind of rules might change around gatherings in general it kind of started there and then uh you know went into more sort of economic type things like what is it how how's what are the money supply going to look like and where does people's money come from to fund projects and you know let's say hypothetically a hospital wanted to build a medical office building and use their own money well maybe now they don't have that luxury and maybe they partner with a developer or maybe a developer partners with a healthcare institution to build beds or i mean there's a lot of dynamics around sort of where the where the financing arm comes from and then the third bucket you know had more to do with the impact on on facilities themselves uh, whether it's a corporate campus you know, where do people park? Where do people gather? Like you said, how many people can get in an elevator at once? You know, does everybody have to get screened when they come in or take their temperature? Or, you know, can you even have a conference room anymore with 20 people or, or not? And, you know, are you going to go to the cafeteria still and put your hand in the salad bar that everybody else put their hand in? Right. <laughs> you know, go sit in a big room. And, you know, there's so many facets of uh, of what the impacts might be to facilities. And, and, you know, just you do simple math of, you know, if the density goes way down, of course, that drives up the square footage need if you need more square feet per people and per person and all that kind of stuff. So there's all kinds of metrics around that. I don't think we have a handle on them. Yeah, uh, it's probably way too early uh, but for But everybody's that. talking about them. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so let's 
you know, turn the conversation towards, um, you know, positive. I think there's, en- there's enough of negative news out there. Right. You know, what are some obvious opportunities that you see, whether it's, you know, medium term or long term for the industry? And by industry, I mean architecture and design, but also for your product. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I mean, in some ways it actually is uh, potentially a catalyst for, you know, more speedy implementation of, of certain things. And, um, you know, I was reading about a, a healthcare system, for instance, right, who maybe drug their feet a little bit on telemedicine for a while. And now that they're forced to do it, maybe they realize that it's okay. Uh, and there's ways to do it. And it can probably be effective. And I think the same may be true of, you know, working from home. I think, you know, developer uh, clients are starting to think about what what does that mean? And, uh, you know, not only what does that mean for people who want to work from home, but what does that mean for the office environment for people that work in the office and congregate? Does it mean that we can't have cubicles anymore and uh, or we can only have cubicles that are spread out a certain distance? And what does that mean for o- the overall utilization metrics? Like I said, I just think it's it's kind of all over the map as people are, are you know, trying to figure it out. Yeah, and I imagine... Um there's going to be some obvious challenges around that. Uh, over the last decade, a lot of companies spent, you know, a lot of time and energy creating office space that, you know, conveys their culture and, you know, way that they do business and right. that kind of thing. And uh, I can only right. imagine that totally being flipped upside down at this point, right? No, that's exactly right. And I think a lot of, you know, technology solutions are maybe going to start to get uh, accelerated, um, you know, whether it's, you know, just whatever it is, whether it's artificial intelligence or virtual reality, or you know, the ability to sort of be uh, sort of immersed in a in a meeting-like environment through the use of technology, uh, this kind of catching up. I think you know, people have been studying that for a long time, and it, maybe people have been slow to implement it, either because it's expensive or you know, the technology is just not there yet, or the bandwidth isn't there yet, or whatever. But I think you know, in the in the near term, uh, we're going to start to see that, whether it's in medicine or research or fabrication or or just basic office space or higher education. I mean, you read a lot of articles now about universities. I read one yesterday where actually going to class could be a foreign concept in the not too distant future, which is kind of unfortunate, right? Because how do you balance the need for people to interact and be together person with the need to stay safe and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's going to fundamentally change a lot of things in higher education and, you know, how learning is done and um, all that, everything. And more close to home, uh, Brad, how do you think this will change the way Parkinson Will does its work? Well, I think it's it's probably similar. Honestly, we're having lots of discussions about that. And, and you realize that, you know, not only the, you know, I think before working from home was, you know, maybe put in the context of, of flexibility, which is important too. People have different environments to work on and have different things and, you know, it reduces carbon because you don't have to drive to work every day or take the bus every day. And there were other reasons before. Uh, but I think I think now it, it may become at least partially become the new norm where there's there's it's actually quite productive and people get you know more comfortable with video conferencing and yeah it was kind of interesting you know two weeks ago when we first started working from home you know almost nobody showed their actual face on the screen when you're doing a video call and now it's kind of what you do because people people realize that it's it's even though you're on the screen it's more personal and when you can see someone's face and they're talking to you and they're smiling you can wave and you know you start to get a little more comfortable with it and it's right. okay and we actually we actually had our office-wide uh, promotion celebration last week you know in our office in here is 140 people and everybody was dialed in and people took turns talking and it was almost like we were having a meeting and I, you know i think two weeks ago 
uh, that would have been a much more difficult. Everybody had a beer, and you know, <laughs> right. two weeks ago, uh, it would have been hard to do. But now people are kind of getting used to it, and saying, "All right, you know, it's not it's not ideal, but it's safe." <laughs> yeah, it's almost rude not to show your face now on a conference call, right? Right, 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 right. Um, so tell me, um, obviously, you know, great organizations like yours that have survived cycles and all kinds of different things um, endure because of their ability to adapt. Sure. You know, tell me a little bit about how Perkinson Will is preparing itself for the next cycle. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, what's unique to this one, and is it maybe a little bit different than some previous crises? You know, like we were talking the other day about even whether it's 9-11 or, or Katrina or, or some of those where, um, you know, there were certain things that it didn't necessarily impact everybody the same way. Not everybody was directly as impacted maybe as they are by this one. Uh, in terms of every facet of life and every country and every city and every, you know, every household. And um, so I think it, this one is, it runs a lot deeper. And uh, I think we do have a very robust um, firm and we are going to be around and we are going to weather, we are going to weather this and we're going to be smart about it. And so we're trying not to be overly reactive, but also be smart. You know, the good news is we, we, again, we have a very diverse practice and we're all connected over a single platform and a single network. And so we can share resources and share staff and sort of flex up and down. You know, I think firms that aren't able to do that, it's much more difficult to sort of ride it out. I've heard some firms who, architectural firms who, you know, their whole staff didn't even have laptops. They had desktop computers. So, you know, imagine you're trying to work from home and you're asking your staff to work from home and they don't really have the tools to do that. And so we're doing everything we can do to make sure that people have the right toolkit uh, at home and incredibly robust uh, IT help that we can call 24-7 and frankly do. And, um, you know, and, and we're trying to be smart and uh, be very direct at reaching out to our clients, like I said, and making sure that we're asking them what they need and how we can help and what are they hearing and what is changing. And, you know, even if something goes on hold, is there anything we can do to help or, you know, I, I think you just have to be diligent and proactive and, you know, think about what they need to be successful in their business and how and how can we help. And because we work across so many different geographies, with so many different types of clients, I think our ability to help uh, even facilitate, you know, a conversation between different clients in different sectors. Like I said, we, we have the healthcare institution here that we introduced to a private developer who, you know, even though they might not need XYZ, they might have a deal over there. And same with higher education. And in the world was already kind of blending that way anywhere, anyway, where, you know, universities are partnering with developers and contractors to build research projects or whatever. So there was already kind of a blending happening primarily for financial reasons, but also just other things. And I think we're just going to continue to see that more and more and more where, you know, we're sort of the amongst the broader team, we're the sort of the trusted architectural partner to, you know, help matchmaking or, you know, help put together deals or maybe less traditional architectural services that um, that just lend themselves to, you know, helping helping everybody sort of through this time. And I think it is, the, the industry is going to change and maybe for the better. Yeah, great. Brad, thank you very much for your time. Very insightful and great to hear um, how you guys are dealing with this. I appreciate your, your taking time. All right. Time. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Take care.